Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. We've got uh, Jugmeet Singh on the show, federal NDP leader. We've got some thoughts on the end of the state of emergency in Toronto. And Ambaris Chandra will join us, a economics professor from University of Toronto. He listens to the show uh, quite frequently. And we'll talk about airline travel, the problems at Pearson Airport, people getting back on planes, the possible lifting of the mask mandate in Canada as well, which is probably delaying some people from deciding to travel, especially long distances with kids recovered from Omicron. Uh, There's a lot to that conversation, and it's all starting right now. Very pleased to welcome on uh, the leader of the federal New Democratic Party. He's kind enough to take some time to join us now. He is Jugmeet Singh. Jugmeet, it is always great to have you on Toronto today. Thanks for getting. I know it's not early now. You, your your household's changed a little bit. This is not early for you. So I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Um, you were mentioning uh, tweeting about gas prices yesterday. It's on everybody's minds, on every Canadian's mind. And you made the point uh, since the start of this year. By the way, I should point out in Toronto, gas was selling for a dollar forty uh, and point nine cents a liter. So we're at about a sixty cent per liter increase just in three and a half months. You note Shell's tripled its profit, Imperial Oil tripled its profit, Census Energy increased profit by sevenfold. As you note, the rich are racking in the profits while you, the Canadian consumer, pay the price. What's our solution here? Well, one is to acknowledge that that these uh, large oil companies are making record profits. And we know it's also the case with, when it comes to grocery stores. The large go- corporate grocery chains are also making record profits while they're uh, jacking up the price of food. So one of the things we've got to acknowledge is that corporate greed is driving up costs of living for Canadians. What we're proposing a sustainable solution is we got to tax the excess profits of these companies and then reinvest that back into helping people, whether that's direct financial support going out to families in need or using that money to invest in things that will lower the cost of living, like investing in things like dental care that we fought for and mm-hmm. we're going to bring in this year and next year. Uh, fighting to b- put money towards universal programs that help lower the cost of living for families. We've got to invest back into people and we've got to tackle that corporate greed. Uh, that Those are some fundamental things we need to do. And more than enough occasions, um, it, it's one thing to tell Canadians, well, you know, j- just, you know, put a put a cap in maybe traveling for leisure or think about other things. I, I'd say that that's even a tough conversation because people who have families want to take them places. They want to experience life again because it's been harder to for 26, 27 months. But we're not even talking about the worker that has to travel, that can't work from home, that has to put gas in the car, has to fill up the tank three times a week. Those are the people that are really affected by this, aren't they? Oh, uh, without any doubt. We know that there's so many people that earn their livelihood. uh, They have to drive to work or driving is a part of their work. And they're being really hard hit where we already know that the inflation or the rising cost of living is making things harder in general. The cost of everything is going up. Add on to that the fact uh, that their daily costs or their weekly costs are going up. It's been really, really difficult for a lot of people who earn their living and they have to travel. Did you flinch a little bit? Did your party flinch a little bit when the carbon tax went through from uh, from the Trudeau government, uh, knowing knowing we have to make that transition? We have to care about our environment. We don't just just because the pandemic's happening, we don't put environmental concerns on hold, nor should we. But did you flinch a little bit knowing that's just a little bit extra for those people that are putting those tanks in weekly? We all know that there is a cost to pollution. It costs us as a society. What really hit me is just the the huge profits that these oil and gas companies are making. And on top of that, 
they're getting even more subsidies, public money from, from this government. We think that's the thing that really hurts to see huge prices at the gas pumps, to see their record profits. And on top of that, getting public money, all of that doesn't make any sense. We should be taxing them fairly, making sure we reinvest that into people. We should not be giving them uh, profitable companies should not be getting subsidies from the government. That doesn't make any sense, particularly when it's companies that are gouging Canadians mm -hmm. and where we need to make our public investments in the energy of the future to, to be sustainable and to be renewable. We need to be investing in renewable energy. That's that's the future. And that's we also need to be investing in jobs, uh, particularly workers that are hard hit by the climate crisis mm -hmm. and the unpredictability in the in the global markets. Jagmeet Singh is joining us on Toronto Today. He's the federal leader of the New Democratic Party on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. It, it, you mentioned uh, Loblaws and, and the grocery companies. And, and yeah, I think a lot of listeners would go, yes, we certainly should tax these uh, big corporations more. Is there anything the companies themselves can do? I mean, the price is the price sometimes. The merchants say, it takes us, you know, th this long to get to, to get the goods here. We, we don't want to have supply shortages on the shelves. This is the cost of doing business now because we have to pay this this gas price to to transport. Almost all foods come to grocery stores via big transport trucks. We know that there's certainly supply chain issues and there's, of course, some increase in in the, the cost for for businesses because of the the increase in, in gas prices and, and other uh, supply issues. But what we found, what we were calling out, and then we found conclusively, as been reported in the news, uh, these corporate gro grocery stores are actually increasing their prices beyond what the increased costs are just to make extra profit. And that's what we found. Uh, if you're increasing prices to offset increased costs, they would have the same level of profit. But we're seeing a significant increase in their profits. And so that doesn't add up if they're saying that it costs more to ship things, and to produce or to provide the, the products in, in their stores, then why are they making huge profits? So it shows clearly they're just gouging Canadians at this difficult time. And we this is no surprise. We've seen in the past during the, the world wars, companies were gouging, they were profiteering, and Canadians, as well as other countries around the world, decided that we've got to put in anti-profiteering taxes. We've got to tackle yeah. companies that are trying to profiteer off the war. Similarly, companies are profiteering off of a pandemic, a war in Ukraine, as well as uh, the rising cost of living. We know when the cost of things go up, it hurts workers, it hurts families, it hurts the listeners to, to your show, mm. but it benefits those at the very top. They actually make more profits. And so that's why there's no other real solution that's going to work in the long term beyond making sure these companies are paying their fair share so we can invest that back into people. Jagmeet Singh is our guest on Toronto Today. Um, so Toronto ended a state of emergency yesterday, re-COVID-19. Um, in the province of Ontario, we're probably as as free as we've been regarding restrictions. It seems like airports aren't, aren't the same, though, um, and airports aren't relaxing a lot of COVID-19 rules. I'm sure you've seen the stories. Vancouver Airport, I had a friend fly into there the other week. Uh, it's 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 very, um, you know, it, it's very cumbersome to travel right now. And we're seeing those same things at Pearson Airport. Should we be relaxing any rules when it comes to federal travel? Because that's obviously a federal jurisdiction. Yeah, we should always make decisions and we're, we're going to need to relax uh, restrictions. And that has to be done in a in a prudent way. Uh, so that has to happen. But what we're seeing in terms of delays is really the federal government not being prepared for what we knew was going to happen. As soon as provinces uh, loosen some of those restrictions, which which at some point we're, we're, we knew was going to happen, mm -hmm. uh, there was going to be an increase in travel. That is not something that should have been a surprise, but the federal government didn't take the steps necessary to make sure air travel was not was not so um, 
under-resourced. We, we know that there's huge lineups, not enough security to get through uh, the security uh, gateways. So there's serious problems that should have been anticipated, but that's where the federal government kind of failed to anticipate and now are reacting to these huge lines and scrambling to get more staff. We should have been doing that earlier. Is that just, and that is that just a staffing issue? Even with Service Canada, right, Jack? Maybe we're, like we're struggling. We see big, big lines yep. for passports and people kind of panic. They might even think I, my passport doesn't expire for eight to 10 months and they're worried about renewing it. That's not, that's not Canada. That We shouldn't be doing that. No, exactly. That's another area where we we also knew that would happen as soon as the, you know, when the restrictions were in place and it was difficult to travel, no one was traveling. And so people let their passports expire knowing that they're not going to travel anytime soon. But as soon as the restrictions started to lift, as soon as we started moving towards more travel, that is another thing that the government should have been prepared for. And Service Canada is right now also being overrun, again, understaffed uh, based on the demand for people that tried to, are trying to now two years after not having been able to travel or wanting to get their passports renewed are seeing these huge lineups. That's another area where the federal government should have anticipated this. We knew that this was going to happen. We knew that people let their passports expire because mm. they weren't traveling. And now people are saying, okay, well, let's get our passports again. And now there's these huge lineups. I know we've had several conversations during the pandemic and during the election campaign about about off ramps for people. It, it, it allows people to breathe. It's it's a little like running a marathon, not knowing how many miles or kilometers you've got. Uh, I better use the metric, right? Uh, how many kilometers we've got left in, in that particular marathon. And I wonder about this federally. I hear from listeners all the time who ask about unvaccinated travel. And I had opinions in the fall on on mandates, but we we don't have them anymore to go to places, to go to restaurants, to go to a sporting event. And I think I don't know where we go with with an off ramp for that, for an unvaccinated traveler, someone who could not get vaccinated or chose not to. Should they be on airplanes? Should they be on via rail? They are asking those questions. I'm sure you're getting those same questions. Absolutely. Those questions are coming up. And at some point, we're, of course, going to move to a point where there are no more restrictions. We have to prepare for that. And I think the biggest thing, and you mentioned this, is giving people a sense of when that's going to happen. You can plan your life around it much easier when you know, okay, by this date, things will get better. Or by this date, we'll be moving to a new stage. Or by this date, we won't need to have um, certain mandates in place. That That's something that Canadians deserve to know. I think it's important for transparency. And we've been long calling for the government to really present a plan. What is it going to take for us to get to a point where things are things are safer? Or what is it going to take for us to get to the point where there's no longer uh, restrictions required? That that off-ramp or just having that, that, that understanding or knowing what's going to happen so you can plan your future is really important. Do we have more, how would I put it? Do we have more empathy for people who chose not to get vaccinated? I went for a period where I'm frustrated, I'm angry. I'm like, let's get the numbers up. Let's do this. But Omicron to me, Jugme, really changed a lot of a lot of our game plans here. It's a, it's a far more transmissible variant. It is a notably right. less severe variant. That doesn't mean people won't get sick. The, the very same people, my parents in their mid-70s, they've got to take just as much caution, maybe more than they did a year ago at this time because of the transmissibility. But I... I don't know if Canadians have sort of changed perspective on this, but but I do think we all want to we all want to move the ball forward down the field a little bit here. Yeah, we we do. I still strongly, of course, believe in vaccination mm -hmm. for for everything. I've got personal stories. My family, uh, some of my family that came from Punjab and weren't able to get vaccinated from things like polio, and one brother uh, in, in a in one of my cousins got sick, uh, and is still is living with that disability, living with the impacts of of getting polio. 
And his younger brother was able to get vaccinated and doesn't have it. So it's stark. I see mm-hmm. exactly in my family the impacts of, of getting vaccinated, staying healthy and not. Uh, and, and I can see that impact. So, of course, I'm going to encourage people to always get vaccinated. It's one of the best kind of medical inventions we have to keep people healthy. But um, it is it is frustrating. Uh, you know, with Omicron, we're seeing a huge spread, more and more people getting sick. Uh, the more we're vaccinated, the less likely that that sickness will be serious, even though Omicron is a less serious variant. Uh, as much as I'm providing this context, I really lean on uh, the experts. You know, if I'm if I'm sick or if my loved one's sick, I go to the doctor and 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 follow their treatment protocol. Similarly, when it comes to dealing with the pandemic, I want to always take the best advice from the experts and make sure we're following that. Thank you very much for the time today. Our listeners always appreciate your perspective, and I enjoy our conversations. Let's do it again soon. For sure. Take care. I want to bring on uh, an economics professor from uh, the University of Toronto. Big fan of uh, his work and uh, his uh, social media presence as well. I like the way he thinks. Ambaris Chandra joins us now, economics professor at U of T. Uh, professor Chandra, it's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time. Sure. Happy to be here, Greg. So you, you do a lot of, uh, of digging on uh, on airlines and air travel right now. And do I have that right about numbers? We're almost back to pre-pandemic levels. Bookings are certainly way, way, way up compared to a year ago at this time. Well, that's true for domestic travel. It's not yet true for international travel. And remember, we're almost back up to pre-pandemic levels for a typical April or May, but it's not yet the height of the travel season. So, you know, we'll see if we'll be back up to pre-pandemic levels once we're in July, which is the peak. We're also seeing prices right now. Um, I was looking at, at an August trip and uh, and prices are kind of holding, not moving with the cost of, of the gas that we're putting in our tank. It, do you, I mean, it's tough to forecast, but do you view that as being that's an incentive right now that we're not looking at massive increases in terms of the, the, the flight costs, but we might get there by the end of the summer? Yeah, actually, I'm surprised that we've not seen even bigger spikes uh, so far in prices because you know, it's partly because these airlines tend to lock in the price um, of jet fuel in advance with forward contracts, and they've probably not yet been hit by the biggest spikes that we've seen in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. But that's going that's coming, and so you know, um, airline travel in in the summer months, especially for bookings that have not yet been made, could be way more expensive. Do you look at the at the the, the word of mouth here? Um, that 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 factors in. So if I'm talking about it and other people are talking about it, um, there there might be a hesitancy to utilize Pearson Airport. People already for some American cities and some Canadian travel, they've got Billy Bishop. They can fly on Porter out of there, which is a really convenient airline for for down uh, downtown people. Then there's also going to Buffalo, which I've done before and and flew out of there and. Especially given, I saw that the Maple Leafs did that. They decided not to fly from Toronto, drive across the border to Buffalo, avoid the mandatory test to fly in, and then go to Tampa uh, for for Game Four. Or they'll do that to go to Game Six um, on Thursday night. Like, is Pearson getting a little bit of a bad name here? Could this impact them? Their bottom line? I think I think it's really unfortunate um, that this is happening at Pearson. There's a bunch of factors involved for why it's happening, but really, this is the moment when. Canadians and, you know, foreign travelers are sort of ready to fly again, ready to travel again. And, you know, many of us are making our first or second trip for the first time in a couple of years. And, you know, it's it, it doesn't look good that we're, our, the biggest airport in Canada is simply not ready um, for this moment, which we should have seen coming. Do you know what, what, what changes it? Like, do governments have to get involved? I know we think there's a lot of regulatory factors involved with Pearson, a lot of obviously, uh, given that there's still a lot of controversy about the mandates, who can fly and who cannot um, does do do we need either more of that or less of that to make this work? 
I think, so like I said, there's a bunch of factors, but you know, one factor you alluded to is they're finding it hard to hire people. Mm-hmm. I get that. I mean, labor markets are tight everywhere. And in some ways that's a good sign, but, um, but that's particularly acute at airports. By the way, airlines are having the same trouble. You know, they don't, a lot of people don't want to work in the aviation sector right now because, you know, things are difficult, complicated, tempers are running high, uh, you know, people are out of practice, they haven't flown in a long time. And so it's just a t- challenging job. And I get that. But the other part of it is absolutely, I think governments have a role to play. I mean, I was reading an analysis yesterday. It used to be the case that Pearson could pr- process a tr- an incoming travel in about 30 seconds. Now it's a minute and a half. And that's three times as much. And you might think, oh, it's an extra minute. But when you add that up over every incoming traveler, you know, why is that? It's because there's all these extra checks, right? They've got to use mm-hmm. the can app. They've got to check for vaccination status. They might do some mandatory testing. And increasingly, that really just seems, you know, out of place with the moment we're in right now. And so there is a role here for the government to scale back some of these regulations and, you know, basically allow travel to just you know, look more normal. And Maris Chandra kind of to join us, an economics professor at the University of Toronto. So about, um, I think we're three and a half weeks, maybe we're almost to the four week mark of the United States, <clears throat> excuse me, dropping um, requirement for masks for flying. And there was a lot of noise. This is what happens when mandates get dropped. A lot of noise for 24, 48 hours. There's a lot of talk about who will respond. A lot of talk about boycotts. Haven't been any of that so far. And, and if anything, uh, airlines have reported there's been fewer incidents. We've had better behaved passengers. We've had less people, less tense people. Um, I don't know that that's coming today, next week, next month in Canada. But do you think there's people still holding out and saying, I won't book that big trip? You know, I'll give you an example. My 14-year-old coming off of, of Omicron, if we were going to go to England, which we've been planning on doing for years and we're running out of time to do it, why would I want a recovered Omicron, a recovered from Omicron 14 year old in a mask for seven and a half hours on a flight? I might wait until that that gets dropped. Yeah, I think um, and especially for, like you said, the longer haul international travel, I was actually taking I took a long haul travel trip to uh, New York City for, um, from from Asia uh, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And this is right after the mask mandate was dropped and the flight attendants on the flight were almost giddy with happiness. They said, look, we don't have to wear our masks for 14 hours and we don't have to monitor the rest of, you know, the rest of you for 14 hours, whether you're wearing a mask or not, which let's face it, nobody really was. So, you know, there was a, a there was just a ratcheting down of tension in, in, in that environment. And, you know, travelers and um, employees alike were just sort of happy to see that go. Look, I get it. There's also people on the flip side who, you know, would be nervous in that situation because, you know, they're, you know, they, they're traveling for the first time and maybe they, they want that feeling, that extra security. But but in the long, you know, in the, in the bigger picture, especially for the sort of long haul travel, yeah, there's a lot of people, I think, who just aren't going to do it as long as there's this intense sort of health security apparatus around travel. But it's an odd one, isn't it? Because we've seen this in the States. There have been almost no cancellations. Flights haven't been canceled. Um, employees, um, a lot like the teaching industry, they, they we all had to go through an element of we get sick, we get better, we go back to work. And the N95 is a real N95 is a really good mask. A KN95 is a really good mask. The vaccines are really good at preventing severe. Like, which one are you not confident in to not get on an airplane? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is it's uh, very striking. I think with every time we've sort of gone back to a stage of normal, whether it's with, you know, just something small like the mass mandates on planes, but before that, school openings, there were always worries and predictions of, you know, doom. Um, and then the moment we sort of, the, the new normal happened, 
very quickly, we just, you know, snap back and act as though that's the way it's always been. And we forget about all those predictions. And in fact, in most cases, those predictions haven't come true. So I think there's, you know, maybe genuine worry on some side, but, you know, once we see this happen, life just, you know, snaps back and resumes as it was before. Aaron Bar- um, Barris Chandra, our guest and economics professor at University of Toronto. I got about a minute with you. Tell me what you're hoping um, your your academic year looks like uh, in 22, 23. What are you, what are you hoping for? What's a best case scenario to be back in the classroom for you? I mean, I'm looking forward to being back for the first time in, you know, almost two years in a normal environment, hopefully, where, you know, we can gather without sort of any fears, without any protocols. Um, you know, we can sort of speak normally and, and, and talk and, and laugh and, and sort of see each other's emotions, which is important for students to see. Uh, it's important for as it means an instructor to sort of see, register how students are responding to the classroom discussion. But it's important for them to sort of feel like, you know, they're in, a, in an environment where they can talk and participate. And, you know, it's... Even though this, the whole of the last year we've been mostly meeting in person, but still in this very artificial environment, I'm, I'm hoping that this fall will be the first time, you know, it's since since March 2020 that it's going to feel like normal again. I hope so. I hope so for you too, and uh, and for your students. Do you do any tutoring? I've got two teenage boys that need to learn the value of a dollar. Will you? Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make I'll pass you an you offer. On to one of my students. No, no, no. I want you. I, I'll make you an offer <laughs> off air. It'll be it'll, it'll be that Godfather esque offer you can't refuse. I promise. Um, you're a great guest. Thanks for making the time for our show. Sure, Greg. Thanks. Now, we talked about this on Tuesday night. No, 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 Sunday night. And we said, oh, boy, John Tory and Eileen DeVilla have a news conference for 1030 in the morning, which was yesterday. What could it be about? There's a few local chief medical officers of health who've been really um, militant about uh, uh, and aggressive about um, wanting mask mandates back. Ottawa has uh, one that's like that in Vera Etches. Uh, Peterborough uh, has one that's uh, very very um, uh, out there. And uh, and so people wondered about Toronto and it went the other way because most things have been going the other way. The boat's been sailing the other way down the river for weeks and uh, a few months on end. You know, for yourself, when you said in your own household, our danger is, if not over, greatly minimized. You remember the vibe that you had when you first got vaccinated i do i remember my first vaccination i had to drive out to bowmanville uh to get it love the bowmanville folks and i drove out there because that was the best appointment for me uh got the pfizer shot and you feel empowered you feel more protected because i remember running around at christmas right mask wearing going into walmart got to do christmas shopping remember it's only the big box stores they're open late and we all have had those moments where we, we, we thought, I, I maybe am taking an undue risk here. And then we got vaccinated. We learned more about the virus, about where it's safer to be than other places. We realize now that uh, as well, we've got a less severe strain of COVID. We're still vaccinating with the original vaccine for the original strains of COVID, Alpha uh, and Delta, most prominently, But we've got the vaccine that is handling a less severe strain. Some people don't like the word mild, but it is what it is. You know how I knew the pandemic was over? I mean, Dr. Fauci declared the pandemic over three weeks ago. I want to say three weeks ago on one of those Sunday shows. But I also knew the pandemic had ended for us when the mayor of Toronto, a 67-year-old man, tested positive for COVID on April 13th. Tested positive for COVID April 13th. And we never followed up and asked how he was because we just knew he'd be okay. 67, 
vaccinated and boosted, taking the proper precautions, just the mild symptoms. That's not going to be the case with everybody, because guess what? Health isn't universal and life has risk. You might take more risks than other people. I'll never jump out of an airplane. I'll never deep sea dive. One of those stingrays or electric eels. They'll they'll be around. I just know they will be. Um, I didn't like being 20 feet out in. Uh, we went to uh, Coney Island once and we were out. It, Coney Island's amazing because you can go on all these rides and you can swim in the ocean. About 20 feet out, I'm like, eh, this is a little close to Amity Island for me. Like, I don't see Roy Scheider yelling at everybody to get out of the water, but I'm, I'm a little bit too far out. So I don't love taking all risks in life. Far from it. But I knew, I knew the pandemic had ended when we didn't do a bunch of follow-up stories on Mayor Tory's health because he's 67 and he can manage his own risk. Vaccinated, boosted, I can keep going. So when it comes around yesterday that the emergency ends after 777 days, I'm like, yes, it doesn't mean COVID isn't in our lives. We're well aware that it is. There's two um, catchphrases that have kind of really made me giggle a little bit in a very serious devastating time i mean look this has again been the mass tragedy of our lifetime we've got a mental health crisis we're going to deal with for the next 50 years about recovering from COVID, grieving those we've lost to COVID, grieving lives affected by COVID, and then there's just the panic the paranoia about getting it because people do have that but john tory said this yesterday when he announced the state of emergency was over we know that COVID-19 is still active in the city. The work that we have been undertaking will not stop. I think I've made that very clear today. Our vaccination efforts, our public health guidance from Dr. Davila and her team, and recovery supports will continue to be available from the city working with the other governments. Under provincial order, the masking in critical areas, including public transit, remains mandatory until at least June the 11th. But terminating the emergency is a sign of the progress we have made by following public health guidance, sacrificing throughout the past two years and getting vaccinated. I know you might have tuned out some of the public health messaging. I have at times as well. I think at times it's been risky to put certain people on the radio live. It's been risky to play certain news conferences because there isn't enough challenge. Back. There's not enough pushback. There's not enough. What about this? Let's ask you a, a tough question about where we're going. That's all we can do is try and get these things right at the end of the day. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, uh, Quato uh, Kiramantang appeared on a uh, on CTV yesterday. I would play you the audio, by the way, of him just talking about how different it feels to be in California. But I can't hear the audio great because of the ocean waves. For a guy that's got his own podcast and it's brilliantly done, uh, the audio is a little lacking because he's in Santa Barbara uh, getting some sun and out there for a medical conference. But he said this yesterday. I'm in, I'm in California for a conference, and it, and it, I hope this is not taken the wrong way, but what what is refreshing leaving Ontario is seeing that people are really making strides to try live with COVID. How do we move forward? And less conversation about what restrictions we need to add. What It's more on a focus of, of progressing, especially because we've prepared ourselves so well and i must say it, it it's nice to see it really is nice to see that uh that mindset so yeah i think uh, with all the efforts we've done through especially in ontario to prepare i think this is a, a positive sign so the largest city in canada that's quite okay the largest city in canada which often had really harsh restrictions we know that in essence declared the pandemic over they agree with dr fauci it's a relief 
This is our world now. How do we rebuild? How do we provide confidence for the vulnerable and elderly? How do we make sure those at higher risk are actually provided with a wall of protection? Well, the rest of us who feel confident and have done all this work for 27 months, get out there and do what we need to do for our elderly, for our kids, for ourselves, even at times. You're not selfish to ask those questions. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. Back with a live show tomorrow on Wednesday. Game five in the books for the Lightning and Leafs, and I'm sure we'll talk a chunk about that. Enjoy the day, and you can find us tomorrow morning on the Radio Player Canada app or at 640toronto.com.